see if we could do something, maybe bring some technology from Canada to Dubai and maybe do some business because was and is a land of opportunity, I feel, because there are everywhere in the world, there are people that come up with ideas and they just blow wind at you. But if you can actually do what you're saying, then I think that this place celebrates that and you're able to do it. I mean, I'm an example of that because what we said we did and we're still here and we work with the government. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook and Twitter combined. valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode number 48 coming at you right now. Glad to have you on board as we are each and every episode. And we've got a very good episode for you, as always, as we head over to the Middle East and talk to Miss Anita Nori, CEO of Green Energy Solutions, talking about what her and her company have done over in Dubai, how they've been able to kind of lay the foundation, if you will, for the renewable energy push that's going on over in the MENA region. But before we do that, let's welcome to the program, as we do each and every episode, our founder and CEO of eRenewable. Mr. Mike Niemer telling you what we do over at eRenewable. Hi, Mike Niemer here, President and CEO of eRenewable. At eRenewable, we bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both PPAs and VPPAs. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RP process, whether you are a buyer or a seller of wind, solar, or battery storage, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Additionally, we help customers with microgrid or battery storage development, renewable natural gas by turning waste energy, LED lighting and HVAC efficiency upgrades, unbundled RECs, and provide energy advisory services to our customers. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, Thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. Once again, check out all of the information about eRenewable at eRenew.net. Give us a follow over on LinkedIn as well at the eRenewable and Green Insider podcast page. And of course, you can follow us here on LinkedIn. Connect with us and follow us on Twitter as well at Mike underscore Niemer at the Freddie D and of course at eRenew2020. So let's get started with today's episode. Miss Anita Nori from over at Green Energy Solutions. Uh, uh, great inter- just a great conversation with Miss Nuri talking about what they've done over in the MENA region, uh, what prompted her and her husband to kind of, not necessarily on a whim, but just take kind of a leap of faith, if you will, uh, leaving Canada, going over to Dubai, and pretty much just kind of setting the stage for what they've been able to do in the landfill business over there in Dubai and how they continue to spread the word and the gospel of all things renewable over in the MENA region. So uh, they don't call her the queen of garbage, and again, it is a common. So without further ado, let's welcome to the program, Miss Anita Nouri. I'm from Canada, from Toronto. I live in Dubai and uh, I've moved here 15 years ago with a small project that had something to do with the recycling industry and uh, basically in road construction. And we saw that there was a gap in the market in waste management and we saw a huge opportunity 
and coming from Canada, from North America, where we degas the landfills and we use that power to generate uh, the gas to generate power. Um, I thought that, you know, why are they not doing that here? There was nothing happening in the renewable sector. Um, it was really uh, an open field. And um, without realizing how big the challenge would be, uh, we thought, you know, why can't we do something like that here? And it was uh, something that's good and we thought pioneering and that it could uh, easily just uh, keep moving forward. And uh, we made the big move of moving the whole family to Dubai in 2008. And then of course, the whole uh, uh, world basically collapsed and financial markets hit a, a, a huge stumbling block. And, uh, but being here, what I found is that they celebrate, they take advantage of these challenges and turn them into opportunities. So what was viewed as a challenge for the whole rest of the world became an opportunity in this region. And the people that were able to hang on, and we were one of them, and stay focused and really try to do something, we were able to do it. So um, GCC right now is uh, embracing renewables. At the time when we started in 2010, nothing was happening. They were landfilling their waste. The landfills were... Uh, mostly dump sites catching fire. And what we were able to do was um, through uh, uh, innovative technology and what was tried and tested, we put in a degassing system. We're degassing the largest landfill in Dubai. It's an active site that receives 9,000 tons of municipal waste. And we're able to degas it and take that gas and we're flaring it. The project is registered with the United Nations and um, we're generating power from that gas to run our operations. And the government is um, taking that power to run their operation on the site. So the whole site is sustainable and it's running on renewable energy. And um, this to me is a, a proof that if you stay focused and work hard enough and come up with an idea and really, you know, really do something good, then good can come of it. And uh, that, that, that's basically how we started without, without putting uh, barriers against ourselves. And uh, luckily here in this country, we were not, they didn't put barriers against us either. They said, okay, you have an idea show us that it works. If it works, we'll go to the next stage. And it was a great way to keep stepping and moving forward. And it was something that was different for me, especially coming from uh, Canada, where there is so much uh, legislation in place and so many regulations in place that sometimes that bogs you down. Here, the lack of those legislative obstacles enabled us to move forward. In the entire world, here's Anita Nori, and, and, and I'm guessing Mr. Nori, you know, you're sitting there, you're surveying the, the, the landscape. How on earth did you guys end up in Dubai of all places? Well, uh, my husband's born in Syria. We're Armenian okay. background. Gotcha. Born in Syria. Okay. Um, but And he's Armenian, but he came to Canada when he was 19 years old. So he was in Canada much longer than he lived in the Middle East. 
and never ever imagined himself moving back here. Okay. It was through some friends by chance that he found out that a, an old friend of his from when he was young lived in Dubai and it was a phone call from Toronto to Dubai. And he said, well, what are you doing? You should come here. You should come and see it. Dubai is crazy. It's just, you know, such a um, um, place that's growing so fast. You have to see it. And this was in 2004 when there was no uh, Palm Island. It was still in uh, concept idea. Uh, nothing really. It was still a, really a desert here. And um, we came to see his friend. And uh, at the same time, because we were in the construction industry, we thought, okay, why not uh, see if we could do something, maybe bring some technology from Canada to Dubai and maybe do some business because was and is a land of opportunity, I feel, because there are everywhere in the world, there are people that come up with ideas and they just blow wind at you. But if you can actually do what you're saying, then I think that this place celebrates that and you're able to do it. I mean, I'm an example of that because what we said we did and we're still here and we work with the government. Um, and I remember you asking me before, what's it like being a woman and being a leader of a company because I'm the CEO of Green Energy Solutions. I think it's excellent and wonderful and they celebrate women and uh, really are pushing to have women involved in decision-making positions here. They're involved in the government. They have a Ministry of Happiness in Dubai, and it's a woman that runs that. They have a lot of government officials, and they're starting to even out the playing field and taking away the barriers of sex and race and color and just having you for what you do rather than who you are or what you look like. I think that Dubai in general is a leader in this region for trying out new technologies, new ideas, new concepts, and opening up the doors. Father of uh, building Dubai and saw a vision and he was a visionary and he saw that he had, he lives in a desert and what can a desert offer? So he offered a free port. He offered a place where people can come and create business because that business that they create also creates business for him. And you can see that in 50 years, this country, what it was and what it's become is just uh, mind boggling. I mean, where I live right now and where I'm sitting right now, 10 years ago was in sort of the middle of the uh, Persian Gulf and there was nothing here. And now I live on the Palm and I uh, uh, live in a luckily beautiful place. Around me, it's all new. I mean, old here is about 30, 40 years old. It's old. It's an old building. Everything is new. And it's just growing so fast. You guys went halfway across the world. What did you learn in 2010? How did you stick with it? And you know, what have you learned along the way in these last 11 years? So when we first came here, what I saw was a, a beautiful country and a beautiful land, and they were still dumping their waste in a, in a dump site. Nobody was recycling anything. Uh, plastics waste was uh, rampant. Uh, construction is being built so fast, so the construction and demolition industry was just insane, the amount of waste that was just building up. 
And I thought they're they're not doing anything that maybe, maybe we can make a change. Maybe we can do something that is impactful. And um, I mean, the best thing you can do in your life is leave a mark. So I thought, okay, maybe I can leave a mark of doing something good in the world. Um, so we brought a little bit of what we were doing in Canada, talking about uh, source separation, foreign concept to them. And I worked with the government and they set up a strategy and they hired um, uh, international companies to, to put in the waste strategy. We supported it in a small way um, through a little bit of uh, free consultation and what we were doing at the landfill. And when we started testing, we saw that there is a, a lot of gas and I thought this gas can provide um, uh, power and that power can be connected to the grid and it's a renewable energy, it's a good thing, it's environmental. And we went ahead and we registered the project with the United Nations, UNFCCC, under CDM. It's project number 8269. You can actually look it up on the CDM uh, website, on the UNFCCC website. And uh, we're reducing the impact of landfill gas to the environment by over 300,000 tons of CO2 emission reductions a year. And that's what we based our project on. At the time when we started, the carbon market was very robust. Um, 2008, 2009, 10, 11. <laughs> as soon as we started flaring the gas, the whole carbon market collapsed. So when they say success comes from, you know, people moving forward and then you fall down and you have to fall down seven times. I think I've fallen down about 700 times, but I keep getting up. So I'm like that old cat that never goes away. Keep getting up and trying again. And I thought, all right, uh, so we're not making money selling carbon credits, but we're still doing something good. We're still reducing the impact of landfill gas on the environment because it is a greenhouse gas. Methane is 28 times more harmful than CO2. So flaring is still the right thing to do and you should degas all landfills. I mean, it's a mandate in Europe. Uh, hopefully one day it'll be a mandate here as well, but it's still not. And we thought, okay, if we brought an engine and produce power and give power to the municipality and show them that this gas can make power, then of course we would be go to the next stage and connect to the grid. But I didn't realize that they had no legislation in place, no regulations, and no independent power producer in the whole region at all, because it was all government owned. So even though I could generate power with my one engine, I couldn't uh, connect it to the grid. So again, not falling down totally, but stumbling a little bit. We just kept on pushing and uh, speaking, and I'm I'm not shy person to begin with. So I went to all the events. I thought the best way to get this across is to talk and educate and keep talking. So I went to every event that I could. I spoke at every event that I could. I got published in quite a few newspapers. We won a uh, big project Middle East three years in a row for a sustainable project, uh, power project of the year, made a lot of news to the point that um, 
someone from the Supreme Council of Energy introduced me to the one of the ministers of energy as this is our queen of garbage and this is what she's doing. And I thought, gee, after all these years, I became a queen. doesn't matter what I'm a queen of, I'm a queen. And you get recognized. And somehow, if you keep hitting that stone in the same place, it does crack. And I feel that uh, COVID, even though it's a global pandemic and has caused a lot of damage, it has also provided a lot of opportunity. And especially in this region where everyone is now stuck at home. So what do we wanna do? We're all talking. So all of a sudden everyone has become a sustainability expert, net zero, but ask them what it means. They're not really hundred percent sure. Most of the people that talk about it and there's a lot of greenwashing that's going on around the whole world, not just here, not just in the US, not just in Europe, but everywhere. And what we need to do, and what my new mission is, is to stop that greenwashing and actually make actions happen. And I think that uh, that uh, is being, opportunity is here, and it's uh, being uh, supported by sustainable development programs, and even though we came a long way with reducing plastic, COVID has now just uh, inundated us with so much plastic and plastic waste that now even the uh, regular people in the world are actually seeing that, okay, this is actually a bad thing. This is truly something that needs to change. And it's a paradigm change that needs to happen. It's not just don't use a straw anymore. It's why are we even creating more plastic? Like why is washing your cutlery not as good as using a plastic fork and knife? Or why are we now covering fruit with plastic that are packed in plastic and put in plastic bags? It's, it's just insane the amount of plastic waste that has increased. And I see it every day at the landfill. I mean, I see water bottles because people don't want to use, uh, they don't want to touch other cups and glasses and, and uh, just that worry. Uh, if you educate them and people actually understand, maybe we can uh, start to make a change. But what that's done is it's provided an opportunity and a platform to speak about renewable energy, about reducing plastic waste, reducing single-use plastic to the point of plastic recycling business has increased. They're able to make uh, products out of it. And, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things have happened in this past two years that took many, many years to develop. You really have done a job where not only are you providing a service that gives back in a sustainable way, but you're also providing education to the area as well that I'm guessing probably didn't have a whole lot of sustainable education uh, prior to you arriving there. No, they didn't. And now sustainability is part of the program in many universities. Um, I, we, we invite universities to come to our site to see it. We're working with American University of Sharjah an excellent school, international standards school. Um, the head of sustainability is a lovely lady from actually Texas. 
I met with her yesterday and we're going to have some students that come to the site and we're going to be working together with them in the Expo 2020, which is the World Expo that's going to be happening in Dubai in October. And through uh, Expo 2020 and uh, SOS Children's Village, we're going to be bringing in uh, technology that is uh, uh, a, a small, simple technology called plastic printers. And this is taking plastic waste and uh, repurposing it and repurposing it in a way that can support um, countries and children at risk to provide them opportunity to make some kind of a, maybe a small business or reduce the amount of plastic waste and make something that they can use like cups and plates and little cups and saucers that we take for granted, but children that are living in um, countries that are at war or at risk or and are trying to go to school and don't have clean utensils, they can maybe uh, as a community take the plastic waste and make these little cups and saucers, make a little business for themselves. And these are like, this is just one of the small things that I'm trying to do. And by introducing this uh, through these agencies into Expo 2020, it brings awareness and that's what we need to do. We need to be aware of, okay, you and I live a good life where we're fine and we're lucky, but we are just that, we are lucky. So we need, and we have an, uh, an obligation to give back to the world because that's the only way that we will ever be able to survive um, into the next generations. I mean, we're judged by what we do. Uh, you dig in archaeology into the dump sites of history to find out how people lived. And when they start to dig into our dump sites and they see the massive amounts of plastic and the massive amounts of technology that's buried there, and even cars with combustion engines that could blow up, what are they gonna say about us? They're gonna say these people were crazy a thousand years ago, look what they've done. Well, you and we're gonna be that. blamed. So let me ask you this then, what, um, how, many, how many sites do you guys operate right now? Right now we're operating the largest landfill gas project in the Middle East in the Al Qusais landfill, that's the, in Dubai. Um, we have tested some other landfills uh, in the region, in uh, Abu Dhabi and in uh, Ras al-Ghamah. And we're looking at a few projects in uh, Bahrain and in Saudi Arabia. And the Saudi market is a very interesting market for me because they're also um, moving forward at lightning speed and, you know, who knows what happens. But the important thing is, this region is still landfilling their waste. And that waste is over 60% organic. It's generating gas. Uh, and that gas needs to be captured and utilized. And it should be, it should be at, uh, at best used for power or uh, flared. It can go to be part of the um, green hydrogen market. It can generate power for industrial use. It can do anything but what it's doing right now where it's emitting into the atmosphere. It needs to be, there needs to be a change. 
and uh, we're going one landfill at a time. Well, what do you think is the biggest misconception when it comes to renewable industry in the MENA region? I think the biggest misconception is that because it's an oil and gas region, power uh, and uh, is cheap and they would not be interested in renewable energy. And I think that is a misconception. I think that, uh, and I know that in this region, it's a mission to diversify the energy mix. They're really uh, celebrating uh, innovation, like I said. Um, they, uh, uh, their, I don't know, public awareness and education is critical. And uh, they really are um, adding renewable in this region and boosting the energy security. Uh, GCC is embracing renewables. It's being taken really seriously across the Middle East. More than $150 billion is being invested in just solar power, 28 billion on wind, uh, waste to energy, hydro, geothermal, all of these. According to uh, uh, like publications like MENA and IRENA, majority of renewable projects are occurring actually in the oil producing Gulf countries. They're, they're the leaders in renewable energy projects. 2021 and beyond, I mean, you kind of a two-part question. A, what do you see as the biggest challenges ahead uh, for this region? What are you most excited about? And three, I guess it's a three-part question. And three, what does Anita Nori, the Nori team, and the Green Energy Solutions team have on tap for the rest of this year and beyond? For me, it's to support uh, regulations and legislation and new technologies to come into this region. It's to bring public awareness to carbon market and carbon reduction. Um, CDM is ending, but that doesn't mean that it's the end of uh, carbon reduction projects. Because if I can uh, quantify it, then I should be able to monetize it. And this is something that's, I think, um, really important and will support the expansion of renewable energy projects because uh, it has become easier to get financing, but there is a big risk. I mean, solar has uh, improved a lot, but it's a risky business and banks don't really like risk. So if you can support that risk by a carbon market strategy and having a renewable energy, like a carbon market that's regional uh, to support it, then it reduces the risk a little bit on the financial side. Um, I'm not an ec economist, but I know that one plus one has to equal two. Otherwise, nobody's going to do it. And I think that Expo 2020 is going to bring a lot of awareness to the region. I think it's going to get rid of a lot of misconceptions that uh, it's hard to do business here. It's not hard to do business. It's challenging to do business anywhere, especially with uh, um, COVID and people waiting for it to get back to normal. What is actually normal? This is what we need to ask ourselves. Maybe this is our new normal. And um, the fact that I'm speaking to you, Fred Davis, all the way in Texas, and I'm here in Dubai, and we met through uh, a nice guy named Cornelius on a podcast somewhere in the space of LinkedIn is, is just a perfect 
demonstration of what's to come next. I mean, the world is a small place. We all sit at the same table. We need to open our doors, open our arms and virtually hug each other and work together. I mean, it doesn't matter who I am and what I am. We're all the same. We come the same, we go the same. We just, it's what we do in the middle that counts. Thank you so much for that, Miss Nori. Once again, great stuff from her as always. And uh, we do ask you to go check her out over at Green Energy Solutions and uh, give her a follow over on LinkedIn as well. You can get all of the Green Insider Podcast episodes over at Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, eRenew.net, or wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, shout out to Mike Niemer and the entire eRenewable team. Thank you guys for doing everything that you do and help making these possible. Once again, this has been the Green Insider Podcast powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.